0: Hello and welcome to Edutalks, the educational innovation podcast at the University of Twente. Live from the campus studio, I'm your host Robin van Emeloud, and today we'll become self-regulated learners. Let's play the saxophone. Ideally, we'd like our students to be responsible and in charge of their own education. At this university, one of those ways is through student-driven learning, where the student is in charge of their own learning path. Terminologies like student-centered learning, self-determination theory, and self-regulated learning, they all relate to this grander scheme. But reality can be quite different, like empty lecture halls and lack of guidance. So, where is this balance between student-driven and teacher-dependent learning? My guest today will try and answer this question. She's not just an expert but recently became an assistant professor at the BMS faculty and also obtained a senior teaching qualification. Let's welcome Dr. Alika van Dijk. Welcome. Thank you. All these uh, warm welcomes here. <laughs> <laughs> Always nice. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, all, all of this at once, assistant professor, SUTQ and uh, a bit related to this topic, right?
1: Yeah, it was a, a coincidence that it was only one week. Mm-hmm. Um but I indeed finished my SUTQ a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, on the topic of student driven learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually a, a recent interest of mine of a couple of years back. Uh, I changed my research focus to self regulation in the beginning for elementary school students. But um, for my own experience as a teacher, um, I also noticed that our own students here at the university um, could also profit from a little bit more attention should we call it, Mm. to student-driven learning and how to shape it for them.
0: And uh, that's funny how you mentioned the elementary school and university. They seem quite different. Some are toddlers and some are adult toddlers. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, what's the connection there?
1: Um, Well, we are talking about student-driven learning from a perspective that we should um, start early on. So often we refer to elementary school age, Mm -hmm. maybe even starting from the age of six to help students, help children at that age uh, to become more self-driven mm-hmm. uh, both of course in daily tasks but also in their learning um, so there's a lot of attention towards self-regulation student-driven learning in that context and that's also how I rolled into that context of of, edu- of uh, research mm-hmm. um, which is still also a very uh, big interest of mine um, but what I noticed in our own education is that we have a quite high expectations from our own students also here at the University of Twente. Um, And that we also have a vision that embraces student-driven learning as this is what we want to uh, uh, teach our students to become, um, more independent on determining what to learn, how to learn, when. Um, But that when I look at what we actually ask of our students, but also what we expect from them, Mm. that doesn't always match with what they are able to do or what they are aware themselves that they should be able to do. So there's, well, I experienced a mismatch and I also saw that in student communication via student evaluations, that they always uh, also feel uh, that, not always, but also feel that mismatch.
0: And I, I was just uh, looking at your LinkedIn and I saw you have a history in sociology and uh, psychology. Does this also Correct. relate to the interest in that?
1: Um, maybe. I started <laughs> with sociology and... Um, because I'm very interested in how people behave, uh, not only individually, but also in groups. Mm. But when I was studying sociology, I missed the individual um, perspective on uh, what does an individual move and why do they um, act the way they do? So what drives them individually? And it's not always easy to determine um, the best... Well, let's keep it in education. Mm. For example, the best educational approach... Um, to an individual, when we are always looking at uh, an average student, and there's no such thing, if you ask me. So, mm. yeah, so that's why I switched to more a psychological viewpoint.
0: Yeah, exactly. And yeah, now we're at the point of uh, looking at self-regulated self-student-driven learning. Uh, you you took it as a part of your SUTQ in the research. What sort of approach did you take in that?
1: Yeah, the SUTQ was a magnificent chance for me to um, focus on my own teaching, of course, so do research within the context of my own teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I focused on is, um, as part of, of what could be part of student-driven learning is how to engage students in the assessment. So how can we engage them in the learning objectives that they have within a course, uh, and what they in the end should be able to show us that they have achieved these learning objectives? Um, so what I was interested in is how can we um, well bridge the gap between what we want them to show us and also how can they be more engaged in this process by themselves and not only in the end when they have the deadline for their assessment mm-hmm. but for already from the start from the course so that they are aware of this is what I'm going to learn, these are my opportunities, this is what I um, can take on out of this process so that's not only about the end product but also about the process itself uh, and the perspective that i took is to engage them in the formulation of the assessment criteria already from the beginning on so that they have the opportunity to um, well look deeper into the learning objectives. so what what am i going to learn in this course but also in what way would i like to show my knowledge or my skills um, and what would i like to show so what do I think is relevant to show this knowledge or skills? So it's,
0: so it's pretty much like student driven to an extreme. Like you, you, you even get to decide how you will showcase what you've done.
1: Yeah, uh, in that sense, it's to an extreme because they are involved in what they will be graded upon. Mm-hmm. Um, but I made it a little less extreme yeah. by making sure that, of course, the teachers that are responsible for making sure that the uh, learning objectives in the end um, keep... How do you say that? that they uh, are still relevant and that this mm. is what we can show that they have achieved. As of course that this, the teachers should also be involved in that process. So from the beginning on, I talked about co-creation instead of that students now take charge. So it's, uh, it's about um, working together so that we can find the, well, an optimal balance in that and sense. The
0: optimal balance. And, uh, how did it go uh, in this process?
1: Well, my my final conclusion was that I did not find the optimal balance yet, but I did, um, um, well, well, what I found during the process is that students enjoyed being involved in this process. It's, in the beginning, they also found it a bit scary, maybe. Um, why do you ask me? Mm. I would like to hear from you what I need to do to get a good grade. <sighs> but at um, at a certain point, this changed a bit when I explained to them that I will still be um, end responsible, so I can still also um, take charge when necessary, but I do want to give them the room that I can give them. Um, and I gave them some tools, some small assignments to help them in this process of formulating the criteria so that it hopefully resulted for them in a stepwise approach instead of that they had to suddenly think of okay, what should the end criteria be? Um, and I think most of the responses were positive. They enjoyed these activities. They enjoyed thinking about it. Uh, and what I also heard heard back um, is that they appreciated the well, how do you, how can you call it the trust or the mm. the confidence that uh, the trust that I gave them, but also the confidence that they were able to achieve from thinking about it from this perspective.
0: Yeah, I think it's a real compliment for students as well that they really take a bit of ownership in that. Yeah, but then. Um, you also mentioned that this is sort of part. Of, well, not sort of. This is part of the vision of the university here that we have a student-driven learning perspective. Uh, but if you have this sort of approach, can it work on its own in a, in a uh, separate course, or do you really need to embrace that in a broader sense across a program or uh, modules?
1: Uh, you mean my perspective or the student-driven learning perspective?
0: Uh, the sort of approach you, you now took with students deciding their own types of assessment, the learning objectives. Uh, you mentioned how it was difficult for in the, uh, the earlier stage for students to adapt to that sort of culture. If you would have it in a broader sense, would that work better for you or would students still need to switch every time around?
1: Um. Well, the the design that I created for the lessons that I taught, for the course that I taught, uh, I don't think it's a a one-on-one format that can be used in any other course. Mm -hmm. I think we have a lot of different courses uh, focusing on quite a lot of different types of learning objectives. well. one, I think that for the one course, it might be easier to fit this kind of activity in than for another. And that's also one of the questions that I still have, how to now upscale Mm -hmm. these ideas to a broader context. Um, but what I do think is what we can learn from that is that we do not have necessarily have to be afraid of involving students more in this process. So what we now do is we wait for student evaluations to show up in which they give us feedback on a possible mismatch between what they would have expected from a course mm. with what they had to do or that they think they could have learned more, would like to have learned more. Um, and by starting the discussion or opening the discussion earlier in a course so create some room for the discussion of rubrics or assessment Um, we can also learn from that as teachers so that maybe we can be more creative if we listen to their ideas Um, and students feel more heard and probably would also feel more engaged in whatever content it is that you are offering them
0: So why isn't that happening (laughs) now? Is it a very vulnerable position for a teacher to set themselves in?
1: For teachers and students. Um, Mm. As a starting point, I also based this research on my own experiences and what I would like to give to students, Mm. a a sense of room for involvement. Um, But I also did some prior research before that uh, on a different topic, but we started talking about the co-creation of rubrics as well. Uh, And then uh, students actually said that they didn't have any experience with that so far, but they also found it a bit scary that they tend to rely on what the teachers tell them... uh, and that it's a safe situation... if you know what to do to achieve a high grade. um, And that it's unsafe when this might change... due to discussions among the students within a group. And that they did not feel necessarily capable already... to be involved in this process. And teachers, on the other hand, um, they said... well, I would like to do that, but I find it a bit scary... Maybe that's not the right word, but um, uncomfortable to, how, to decide how much room I can give my students and still make sure that from the start of the course, there's a clear vision or clear view on what's expected of my students and of which I know that they appreciate that.
0: Does, does that change the position of the teacher in the sort of uh, relation to the, to the student?
1: Yeah, it might be. I think it's um, becoming less of a a final determining role that you have as a teacher already from the start. Maybe you come across as strict or Mm. very high demanding or (laughs) whatever it might be. Um, And I think um, you're also a bit more vulnerable because the ideas that you might have for an assignment or an assessment in the beginning might change a bit if you open the discussion. Uh, so it's also something that you have to take into account prior to starting your course that there should be room for that, not only um, mentally, <laughs> mm. but also time-wise. So it's also practical, an issue that you have to fit it in into your course program or schedule.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of aspects to it, of course. And uh, one of those aspects can also be, of course, the, the different audiences that you have in uh, terms of students. Uh, because you you start out with elementary school, trying to get those regulators to st- self learning uh, student-driven learning that's a different one than uh, to a master's student definitely <laughs> and what, what sort of recommendations uh, could you give for a university than a different approaches or is in that sense still a very limited uh, scope that you could have with the research you've done
1: yeah of course i don't have the answer to to everything yet but mm. um, the easiest thing about the younger target group is that you can start small Mm -hmm. Uh, and that it's still regard uh, it it will be regarded as a learning process for them whereas if you would do it at the final stage of a university students education program it's totally new for it might be totally new for them um, but but it might also influence their learning experience so if they're not used to it or they might feel discouraged about it because of it it might also change or alter their learning experience and what I said, already said before, and that's also what I noticed when I talk to my colleagues, is that we do have expectations of what these students are mm. or should be able to do. Regarding are, they, are they
0: always so explicit, those those expectations?
1: No, I don't think they're explicit. I don't think that anyone would ever say, I expect uh, my students to be self-driven or mm. self-regulated. But what you do hear is that teachers think uh, might expect their students to understand something or... Um, there's a manual of the course, so they should know that. And Mm. that's also something that I heard myself say a lot before. Um, But it's, of course, not necessarily true that everyone who receives information is always dealing with it in the same way, Um, especially if you're not expected to. So if you're not expected to know everything up front, then you might choose not to Mm. read it at all or just wait a bit more or a bit longer before your teacher might tell you a bit more about it. Um, if you're responsible for your own process from the start and you're used to that, then of course it's different because then you need this input to get started so it's I think it's also if we make our students more dependent on on us as teachers by giving them the rubrics and telling them what to do in the first lesson and or maybe in the second or the third, then we don't also do not expect students to be more engaged in that sense to so to find every piece of information that they might use to to well, de- to well design or develop their own learning path.
0: Yeah, that's really that, that, that sort of learning culture that re- you really need to sort of foster before you can really get to that, yeah, the fruit of your labor, really.
1: Yeah, and I also noticed that during my studies, because I got responses from students that in the beginning thought that I was only doing this because then they could not complain about their grade in the end. <laughs> um, of course, yeah. But actually, I found out real soon that doing something like this, so adding these kind of activities and this room for students to be engaged in this Mm -hmm. process from the beginning on, your role as a teacher is increasing. So it also takes you more time because you also have to manage and structure that part. So you're coaching them in that sense um, and steering them somewhere if that's necessary to make sure that everyone, um, or in the end, everyone knows what to expect that's, of course, still your role as a teacher, mm. that in the end, every student should know what's expected of them so that they're also able to reach the learning objectives.
0: There's always a role for, for you as a teacher, of course. You're always an mm. important factor in any sort of educational setting. Yeah. And uh, there, there was one thing you said that, that sort of interested me. Well, sort of, it interested me. <laughs> <laughs> you said uh, that you, you sort of... Um, you, you said the, the things yourself, like, oh, but you can all read it in the manual... Lost the moment for yourself to to see the light, like hey, but this, this doesn't work for everyone, like that.
1: Yeah, well, I already had, well, I already knew that for a longer time than just a couple of years back, because um, I also knew that they often do not read manuals, mm-hmm. um, and that's not only students, by the way. People in general stopped <laughs> reading at some point. I'm not really sure when, because I am someone that that reads for fun, but also is very. Uh, If there's a manual, I read it from beginning to end. But that's just me, apparently. But it's also about expectations. So I I also had the expectation that if I would do that, someone else would do that too. And I already knew that for a while that this wasn't happening. So before I changed my focus a bit on why do they not read it, I Mm. was already aware of the fact that they don't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that could be, of course, something that you could be irritated about. Um, But at a certain point, when I was focusing on self-regulation among younger children... And when I was teaching here, I just—I'm not really sure when that happened, but at a certain point, I just saw the uh, the overlap there. Not that I want to compare six-year-olds to twenty-one-year-olds, <laughs> um, but of course we're all still uh, behaving the way we think we should. And if um, if the situation is created in which you do not necessarily need to read everything yourself, then it's quite a logical consequence that people do not read do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think that's not only the case in education, but in a lot of situations. Um, And it was the trigger point for me at one point that I thought, okay, I could create this very well-structured manual, um, but I still need to tell people. And even if I tell the students, if I have time in my first lecture to tell them about things, then still I could receive emails asking me questions about about that exact same thing. So it's probably not about not giving the information, but what triggers them to process the information. When when does it become relevant? And when do they feel engaged in that? And apparently, just wanting to complete a course successfully isn't the main trigger. And this is, of course, also extrinsic motivation. And what I did in my studies, I looked specifically for how it influenced intrinsic motivation. So if students felt more engaged and not um, obliged to do so because of external factors.
0: Yeah, and that, that's uh, one of the other SUTQ top No, not, not SUTQ. One of the other topics I saw coming by recently about motivation, that it's way more than just are you looking forward to this uh, task you're doing today? But there's so much, yeah. many more aspects to it all.
1: Yeah. yeah, and I also looked at just one small aspect. So I just looked at intrinsic motivation. Mm. Then, of course, you also have aspects that might well, I'm pretty sure they have interfered also are like uh, self-efficacy. Do they feel capable of um, uh, completing this task successfully in the first place, but also being involved in this process of formulating the criteria? Um, I think they're all contributing to the success of uh, any student within any course.
0: Mm. Yeah. now, if, if we get to, to some uh, practical advice for, for listeners, say we have a teacher now listening to things, oh, I want to do this. Can you give a top three or uh, the best practices of what you really should do when trying to simulate student-driven learning?
1: Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I would have liked to prepare this one, no. <laughs> um, um, well, the one thing is do not um, fear the open discussion. So even though you will have already said the objectives or the end even the criteria up front it's always fine to open discussion to let students tell you what they f- how they feel about it what they think about it because what's the harm in making small changes if mm-hmm. you then meet each other in the middle so they are still based on your expectations but they might well increase um, the level of interpretation but also the uh, agreeableness of students on how to deal with that and that they are in, well, that you're at the same page, so yeah. that you're speaking the same language. I think it's a small thing that you can do and we still make sure that they're at least thinking about what it is that you want them to achieve in the end. Um, and the second is, and that's what also uh, is a direct result of my current research, is that students also tend to underestimate themselves. Um, based on student input, I've, I've, created two different designs for my course and I tested or evaluated both of them. Uh, and after the first design, um, they gave me the feedback that they would like to, um, uh, have my role increased as a teacher so mm. that I would be involved more and that I would structure more and guide more. So at certain points I did that. So I structured the discussion a bit more. I already gave some of my ideas next to theirs, um, which might help, might have helped the discussion, but in the end, it didn't increase their intrinsic motivation anymore. Um, so, what I also found out is that it's not necessarily the case that you have to do more for them to feel more engaged, so that they are able to um, learn more. If you are telling them what to do or to a higher to a higher level, um, because they are also um, they could have already they. Students are better <laughs> able to do the things by themselves without you interfering all the time, mm. and that was the surprising result of my of my study I think that even though they would have uh, they would like me to be involved more that doesn't necess- that didn't necessarily lead to better outcomes regarding their engagement and their intrinsic motivation
0: what sort of advice do you give to that then is to to then even though that's the tip uh, they, well the sort of need they have to still let, let that off as a teacher at that moment?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's okay if students feel challenged. Yeah, um, Maybe we are as teachers also, most of them do it, do teaching. They teach mm-hmm. because they are involved in, uh, in their students' life. They want yeah. to make a difference. They want to teach them something. I hardly know any teachers that aren't um, enthusiastic when students are actually able to do something well after their course. They are also very motivated because of that. Um, And I think that we are also maybe a bit scared to let students take the wheel. And that's also what they also said in my previous study, that they're not sure how much room, how much freedom to give them to make sure that they're still able to learn optimally in the situation that you've created for them. You feel responsible for that. But I think that our students uh, are better... We can challenge them more <laughs> than we um, often do, so it's, it's okay to give them a little bit more freedom and to experience maybe some contradictions or that they have some questions and then it's also, you still have time to also answer these questions, it doesn't necessarily have to be set in stone up front.
0: Well, one of the best learning uh, moments is of course when making a mistake.
1: Or to just think about it. Is yeah. this really a uh, relevant criteria that we have to meet? And if in the end the answer is no, that's also fine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be on spot every time from the beginning. But our, our students are often also, of course, looking for that. They are trying to, what is referred in literature, to game the system. Mm-hmm. I want to fully understand what my what my teacher wants from me so that I can get a good grade. <laughs> so the best way to do that is to have me as a teacher tell them what to do. And then check, is this good enough? Is that good enough?
0: And that's called gaming the system.
1: That's called gaming the system.
0: Wow. That's another yeah. uh, terminology that I wasn't aware of.
1: Yeah, and it's something that is yeah. also quite often in, in student evaluations. I would have liked it if the, if the teacher took more time to explain the rubrics mm. uh, because I think I could have had or could have received a higher grade if they did. Uh, yeah. What them. would happen if we would just ask them to ask questions?
0: Yeah, exactly. Turn it around. Flipping the classroom in a different way for once. In a different way, (laughs) yeah. So um, now you've finished your SUTQ research and uh, say uh, a colleague is starting today and wants to follow up on your research. What recommendations would you have for them?
1: Yeah, well, of course, I looked into one specific element of of student-driven learning. And in this case, it was about assessment criteria. I'm pretty sure there are a lot of different tools that we can use also to increase student-driven learning or at least students experiences in that Mm -hmm. Um, uh, besides the assessment itself of course the process during a course um, there are a lot of different aspects of uh, self-regulation that you can tackle I think Um, one other aspect that aspect that I would also be interested in and what might be an advice is to look into the start of a course that's also what I try to do by Uh, letting them think about the assessment criteria so that they already had to fully understand the learning objectives from day one, more or less. Um, But then we also talk about the process that they have to engage in to to achieve these objectives, so to meet the criteria, um, which is, of course, then a focus on the process. And often we expect students that if they are able to make proper planning, um, then this will be a good start and then it will all work out um but what we also often see and that's not only by the way for university students this again a much much broader audience is that creating a planning that's very nice you can create a very nice planning and then put it away and never look at it again (laughs) Uh, and then we're actually (laughs) not referring to self-regulation anymore either then it's just an activity that you've completed and that's it so it's also about the, um, the process that students go through and Um, For my follow-up, I would like to see what happens when students are involved in the assessment criteria formulation Um, and if this then would lead to a different learning process than when they would not, for example. So if they would then make different choices or um, monitor their own progress in a different way. I'm not necessarily saying better, but maybe differently so that they do not feel discouraged, but that they know what actions to take when something doesn't work out. But of course, that's also a very broad goal, <laughs> a very big goal, yeah.
0: It could be a whole theme on its own, of course. Uh, and it is a theme on its own, All student-regulated uh, learning to yeah. dive into. But these aspects are very fascinating.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> yeah, and um, I think for you, uh, you just got appointed to an assistant professor position. You have finished your SUTQ and you're going to be on maternity leave soon. So uh, yeah. I hope uh, many colleagues will be listening to this and uh, following that up.
1: Yeah, and I hope I can also follow it up myself after I
0: come back. <laughs> yeah, well, it would be wonderful to see any uh, follow-up on that as well on uh, this topic. And I think with that, uh, we're going to a closure of today's uh, episode. Um, thank you, first of all, Alika for joining me.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Okay. Yeah.
0: And uh, thanks to all at home or wherever you're listening for listening. Uh, this podcast was produced by the video team of the University of Twente. If you want to consult on your education or check out the latest educational innovation, you can check out the teams I work at, which are the Center of Expertise in Learning and Teaching, better known as CELT, and the Technology Enhanced Learning and Teaching team, also known as CELT. If you want to be part of an episode or have any other comments, feel free to reach out to us. You can reach us at the talks at utente.nl. And until next time, I wish you a very good day.